The Neutral Position presents the wrap-up with Nick Palmashano. Unpleasant or repulsive, especially in appearance. Adjective. The word is ugly. We're talking about the most heinous, eye-bending, gag-inducing dog chew on the planet. We're talking about ugly chews. You see, when you take cowhide, clean it by hand, and sun cure it with no chemicals, it doesn't look like a cute dog bone or rawhide, but it also doesn't sit in your dog's stomach forever or cause digestion issues. So while we see a hairy mess that we don't want to touch in any way, shape, or form, your dog, the natural predator that he or she is, yes, even Mitzi the toy poodle, has some wolf DNA in there. That dog just sees gorgeous, delicious, healthy nature. So if you want to give your dog the experience of a lifetime while Dreamweaver plays and the world moves in glorious slow motion, then get your dog an Ugly Chew at UglyChews.com. That's UglyChews.com. This is our first live neutral position wrap. Um, it's going to be a little more chill than the way we usually do things, and it's just me interacting with you guys. So you guys are the people that are pushing back at me. The first thing we're going to talk about is the debt ceiling. So the debt ceiling is a thing that every time it comes up, it annoys the crap out of me. Why does it annoy the crap out of me? Um, it annoys the crap out of me because, of course, we are going to raise the debt ceiling. We really have no option other to raise, other than to raise the debt ceiling, and here's why. The debt ceiling is the amount of money that we are allowed to borrow in order to continue functioning as a government. And so because we don't run, the government doesn't run an account the way you or I would run an account. Like if you've got $1,000 in the bank, you can't spend 1,001. The bank won't let you. Well, our government constantly borrows money in order to continue functioning because our government doesn't want to reduce services. So we, we raise a certain amount of tax base and we have a certain amount of cost and whatever the deficit is on that, we borrow. So basically all governments do this. Now, you, you, know, there, you could definitely argue that our debt is too high. I certainly would. Um, but if we ever don't raise the debt ceiling enough to borrow whatever incremental amount that we have, then what is going to happen is we then have only the cash on hand. If we have no cash on hand, then we have to cut services. And the government is allowed to cut any number of services it wants to include uh, contractor pay, military pay, government um, employee pay, roads, infrastructure, like whatever it needs to cut, it will have to cut. And you might ask, why does it have to cut these things? Because if it doesn't cut and we can't service the debt, meaning if we owe, as an example, $1,000 to China and we have to pay $10 every month, if we can't pay that $10, then China is going to raise the red flag and say, the U.S. is defaulting on their debt. If we, if we default, now everyone else that has lent us money is going to start calling for money to come in. They're going to be worried that we're not going to pay their debts. Our rating you know, as a, as a bond will go down. We will become a less safe bet fewer people will want to lend us money. Those that do will expect more interest. So our debt will actually go up exponentially, 
we're going to have to essentially print more money to make up for that. And we're going to end up with hyperinflation the same way that uh, Argentina, you know, uh, and, uh, has, has gone through. So hyperinflation, you, you'll basically see the collapse of the entire economy. And then all of the countries that uh, are reliant on us that have adopted the U.S. dollar as their currency backer will also start crashing. So essentially, we have the Democrats and the Republicans arguing over the debt ceiling in order to get some minor policy changes, but none of them want to see essentially life as we know it collapse. So they would have to be insane, insane to not address this problem. And so for that reason, I always roll my eyes every time this debt ceiling discussion comes up because the real issue is that Congress is unable to balance a budget. And the reality is that in order to balance a budget, we either need to have fewer services or we need to raise taxes. No one raises taxes anymore. Like taxes are never raised. And I'm not, I'm not like advocating for higher taxes, but you can't have high services and high taxes. I'm sorry, you can't have high services and low taxes. Like there is a middle point that we all essentially have to agree on and say this is the appropriate budget. That's Congress's job. That's the number one thing that we pay them for is to spend the money of the United States, to create a budget, to operate the government. They consistently fail to do that on time and consistently fail to do that appropriately. And so we constantly end up in this political theater that is the debt ceiling conversation. So with that, does anybody have questions, comments, things they want to throw out? You want to make fun of Hollywood, anything? You've got the economy sad face. <laughs> <laughs> economy sad face? Well, the good news is that as bad as it all feels, most other countries are far worse than us. And so, you know, the real challenge is as long as our GDP continues to grow, this doesn't become an issue. The threat on the horizon is that our population, um, people are having fewer children. So, you know, at whatever moment that the population doesn't increase, this then becomes a problem because now your choices are that people have to spend more money per individual to kind of keep the same GDP to debt ratio, um, you know, or we have to significantly cut services. And that's what you saw with like Spain Italy, Greece over the last decade as they as they joined the EU and all of a sudden they had to hit certain gates with their debt. Um, they had to go into very deep and, uh, you know, significant cuts in order to just stay functional. Um, I'm not sure what's happening right now, but I see Hollywood and Julia moving things in the background. So any questions around that, comments, concerns, you know, I mean, usually we've got, you know, Julia or Dan over here throwing out their comments. But, you know, you guys often say that they don't have good enough comments. So, like, I'm... Jim I'm, Young at Salvation Coffee says the Facebook audio is too low. Is it better now, Jim? They've moved it up. They've moved it up. Is that better? Yes, he says it's better. Excellent. That's what Jim brings to the table. So, did anybody hear anything I just said? <laughs> <laughs> I just talked about the debt ceiling. Comment, mandatory military service to man up our kids. 
So I actually disagree with the idea of mandatory uh, military service for a couple reasons. First of all, our population is enormous, right? We we have, uh, you know, we're, we're pushing 380 million people. Um, our entire military at any given point is 1.4 million. Uh, we, we simply have too many people in order to have mandatory military service. I do think that there is a place for people who opt into a certain period of service. And I think that service can be military. I think that service um, can be something like the Peace Corps. I think that service could be something like public works. I do not think that that service should be anything where you're like helping Congress, where it's a bunch of rich kids that are avoiding actual work by going to work for dad's friends or mom's friends. But I think that um, having an option for the population where they serve in some capacity, get paid, um, and then, you know, a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, free state tuition or college tuition or some credit towards college tuition. I think it'd be incredibly valuable to have that for people that, that opt to serve. So, and what I really mean that that, that serving the nation in some capacity that is not sitting in a congressman or congresswoman's office and rubbing elbows, but like you're making streets, you know, you are, uh, you're overseas donating your time, uh, you know, to a, to a, a charity like the Peace Corps that helps people, you know, you're working in soup kitchens, you're serving in the military, like you're providing a greater service to others. I would be a hundred percent on board with something like that and having similar, you know, benefits, you know, around college or something um, to the GI Bill for people that put in, you know, four or five years or something into that kind of service. I think that would be a great idea. Pinfold 99 wants to know if you think Biden can use the 14th Amendment to raise the debt ceiling. I think personally that if McCarthy is crazy enough to actually let the debt ceiling lapse, that Biden will call a state of emergency and make sure that it doesn't. And and frankly, I don't know. I think I would do the same thing. Like, it is actually insane to let the debt ceiling go. Um, and again, I'm not saying that we don't have a problem of charging, you know, of collecting a ton of taxes and, uh, and then overspending like we have a serious like congress is dysfunctional i'm not arguing that but i i am definitely arguing that that not paying our bills would be a catastrophe and so you know i don't think biden would have a choice but to take some action in order to make sure that our bills get paid i think that would be i think that that would be a bigger national emergency than any war that we have had since the revolutionary war or the civil war should we set up a program for um, the um, migrants that are coming in over the southern border uh, that they can get citizenship for military service? I don't think that anybody coming illegally into the country should have that option. So the question, the question, if you didn't hear it, is should we have a program where migrants coming over the border can, uh, can become citizens through military service? I, I think that people that come legally into the country should be able to, uh, you know, should be able to, to serve in the military. And, um, you know, if you're asking, should we have a legal program where somebody, 
you know, legally applies for the ability to be in the U.S. military and as a result of five years of service or something can become a United States citizen, I'm good with that. As long as it is a legal process, somebody's willing to pay, you know, uh, a, a debt to the nation, I'm on board. But somebody comes into the country illegally and then tries to join, you know, in, in order to become a citizen, like, I, I don't think that's appropriate. Other questions in that regard? Anything about the debt ceiling? Here's a note from uh, someone in Illinois. Were you aware that some states like Illinois offer a National Guard grant that pays in-state college tuition for members of the Air National or Army National Guard? I, I am. Yeah, so um, uh, my brother was a guardsman in, uh, in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts has that kind, kind of program. I think states... Again, we always have to differentiate between what the federal government does and the state governments. State governments can essentially do anything. If it's not stipulated in the Constitution, the power falls to the states. So I love it when states come up with great policies like that. And, you know, if your state, um, you know, has that kind of policy, that's, that's stellar. You know, I personally think, and I have talked about this ad nauseum, but I, I just think that the biggest problem we have in college right now is that we're backing all of these loans. And I, I think it should be like a very limited amount of money that is backed, like 15 grand a year tops. That is the amount that you can, that you can borrow um, without, you know, personally, you know, uh, having to have the wherewithal to get the money. And you cap public institutions at 15,000. And if people want to spend more than that, then either the institution has to meet them at 15000 or they have to come up with it themselves. That's a different discussion. But I think that, um, you know, states that provide opportunities for kids to go to school free if they have certain uh, grade point averages, for example, or if they, they serve in the military or if they're willing to serve as teachers afterwards, um, they're all locked into state schools at a specific price. That's a reasonable fiscal policy because you're investing a reasonable amount of money in a person in order to get a good result. Nobody should be paying $200,000, $300,000 for four years of college. Like, it's, it's actually stupid. Um, and certainly the government should not be paying that. Do you think the colleges have taken advantage of the fact that people could get student loans for large amounts and that they are kind of part party to the whole escalation of tuition oh yeah yeah well, colleges it's it's i mean hey it, colleges are businesses they're private they're private businesses they're people have this vision of colleges as like oh they're like a this honorable institution that's not the case at all they're they're run by people just like every other institution so when you have good people running it you have good policies and when you have uh you know uh, selfish people running it as we all are to some extent you know, there's going to be a selfish policy. So the government has a situation where they literally have a scale where every year, um, you're, you know, colleges are allowed to ask for a greater percentage. So, you know, I think it varies. The schedule ranges from, uh, I think, 3 to 5% annually. And so what colleges do literally every year is they match the government schedule. And why wouldn't they? And so um, because somehow some way we've we've changed the idea of college from going and becoming educated and becoming a thinking person to a four-year vacation where you find yourself which is uh you know a bunch of bullshit um you know now colleges are competing to get children by how 
you know, how good do they look? How nice are the facilities? Uh, how fancy is it? How's the food? And so these dollar amounts go higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. And you've got kids that are 17 years old with parents that are motivated to, uh, you know, to put their kid in what they perceive as the best place, spending a quarter million dollars, you know, to get an education that isn't even as good as the education colleges were providing 20 years ago. You know, but they're but it's prettier and they have a better time. But then after after four years of a party, they graduate, and now they now they're making forty fifty grand a year, and they have to pay a quarter million dollars back, and that's it's untenable. You're not going to do it without parental help. So now you're both on the hook for this you know incredibly uh, ridiculous situation. So you know, yeah, it's a problem. I mean, it's all a problem. I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know how we got here, but, you Doc know. Sack says, I think private schools should be the lender. Then maybe they will look at the product they're offering and the risk assumed. <laughs> well, we've seen time and time again that, you know, private schools want certain kids, and so they, they, you know, they provide scholarships. I mean, Harvard should never charge for a student again. They have a multi-billion dollar endowment. They literally could continue to grow their endowment, provide education to all of their students, and still make more money. So all of the money Harvard is collecting now is just, you know, it's it's pure, uh, like, greed and power. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have a right to do that. They're a private institution. But where things get very dicey with these these uh, non, you know, these these schools is that they essentially own towns, like Harvard owns Boston. You know, Brown University owns Providence. They have all of this land. They're not paying taxes on most of this stuff. Um, and they have the audacity to, you know, pretend to, like, have this higher calling, meaning, et cetera, you know, while they essentially become untouchable institutions that run entire, you know, giant, powerful cities. Like, there's, a, there's you know... Uh, People like to come after the the Catholic Church, and they should. Um, but I think colleges are the same. I think it's all the same problem. Ian says, "Can a newly commissioned college grad get their tuition back? Excuse me for being You you cannot get your debt excused, as far as I know. And I'm not I'm not current on this because it doesn't apply to me anymore. Um, but you you can get additional schooling paid for. So if you go to grad school, the GI Bill would cover that. You know, so, so that's, that's the structure. But there might be some program available now. There might be signing bonuses. There might be all kinds of things that defray that. You'd have to go to, and I'm not, I'm not selling you guys on this, but you'd have to go to your recruiter and find out what's available for your situation. Do you think the fact that the debt ceiling isn't raised will create a problem for elderly people as far as social security. Yeah, they're going to raise the debt ceiling. They have to. They ha they would be insane. And I granted, like I understand that they are insane and that it's like watching, you know, uh, fourth graders argue with each other, but Congress would have to be insane to let the debt ceiling expire without uh, the 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 waterfall of consequences would blow right through them and when the purge starts they would be the top of the list 
So I don't think, I do not think that the, you know, if the debt ceiling doesn't get ratified, it'll go over by a day or two for dramatic effect like it did last time, but we are going to pay our bills. So if you're at home, like I would not even worry about the idea that these idiots are not going to pass the debt ceiling. They're going to, they're, they're going to have a new debt ceiling. The Democrats will have to give the Republicans something in order for them to to sign it. It will be something that's, you know, quasi meaningful, but not really meaningful. The Republicans will say they won and that it's a big step towards a balanced budget, which they never care about when they're in power. And then we will move on with our lives until the next time we have to look at the debt ceiling. That's what's going to happen. Other questions? That's all for now. Okay. Hey guys, Diesel Jack Media has just opened up our new studio. And while we're getting things spun up, I've tasked the team with making as many videos as possible. To kick that off, we are launching a limited time $500 video option. Here's the way it works. You go to dieseljackmedia.com under video production, choose the $500 video, purchase it for $500. You get to choose one of three things. How weird do you want the video? Do you want it normal? Do you want it a little funky? Or do you want it weird as f Once you choose that, you reach out to us at hello at dieseljackmedia.com. We'll write you if you don't write us, and we'll ask you to send us your product or tell us about your service. Then we execute. You don't get any say in the matter. We turn it around in one week. It's going to be a high quality video that you can absolutely use in an advertisement, depending on how weird you wanted it. And that's it. And so far it's been a phenomenal product. We've made a lot and you need a video on the cheap featuring your product, featuring your service, or just as a joke to one of your friends or something like that, the $500 video at dieseljackmedia.com is the way to go. Elizabeth Holmes, is the world is going to be 1.5 degrees Celsius hotter. And this is, this is the whole reason the Paris Accords came into being. If you don't know what the Paris Accords are, many moons ago, a bunch of countries got together and said, hey, we're going to work on getting to neutral carbon emissions by the year 2050. Okay. And uh, we're absolutely not on track to do that, uh, particularly China that is responsible for 30% of uh, the world's carbon emissions. We're in second place with 14%. But uh, China, you know, we're bad, but we are constantly improving. China is way behind. And they, uh, they're claiming that they'll be carbon neutral by 2060. Not likely, um, you know, uh, when you think pollu pollution, whether it's the ocean, whether it's the air, like China is king. 90% of the plastic in the ocean is from China. Thanks, China. Um, and so when you're worried about those stupid straws and in, in turtle noses, <laughs> right, that is an inconsequential amount of plastic in the ocean. If you dumped every straw that we make on an annual basis into the ocean, it still would not even be 0.001% of all the annual plastic in the ocean. So the straw thing is dumb and we should not have paper straws. They're stupid and no one likes them. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the fact that the Paris Accords, which, and again, you know, the whole point is they had this marker that we want to keep. If we hit 1.5 degrees Celsius, then a whole bunch of bad things are supposed to start happening and we're going to start seeing these massive floods and we're going to start seeing land disappear and 
uh, scorched earth and, you know, the return of the woolly mammoth and, you know, whatever else is going to happen. It's all going to be bad. The vision was by 2050, we would have stopped that. It looks like we're going to hit that 1.5 degree Celsius mark in the next four or five years. So blowing right past that. And, um, you know, the world is wondering what they're going to do about it. Um, and so, you know, now we've heard, I mean, literally you can go back a hundred years and, and you can hear people saying that, you know, the world's going to end because of climate change. And I mean, it very well could. And when we say the world, we're of course talking about mankind, not the world, the world will be fine. Uh, like George Carlin once said, uh, you know, the world is going to be great. We're fucked. Excuse the language. Um, but, uh, you know, we're talking about our habitat and whether we're going to be okay. Um, constant discussion, you know, and I always come back to with this is I, th I always think we have the stupidest conversations about the climate. I, always, I think it's, I think we consistently have the dumbest possible conversation about pollution, climate change, et cetera. And what do I mean by that? It's like you have a group of people that are constantly telling you next year it's over. If we don't, if we don't stop everything, then next year the world's going to end. And then we got a, another group of, of idiots that are like, uh, man has literally nothing to do with climate change. And I, I think that if you're a rational person, it's hard to believe either of those people, right? You can look at factories dumping pollution in the air you can smell the air around factories and you know you don't feel as good. You don't, if you're around like polluted air, you're in a polluted country, you don't feel as good. You know there's a problem, like you know this is not good. But similarly, you know, like no one actually believes that next year the world's gonna end or we'd all be freaking out. Like everybody would be making drastic changes. Like that's not a realistic conclusion. So probably the better conversation to have is how much pollution is acceptable? So I think if everybody could just snap their fingers and have no impact on industry, no impact on their lives, we would all opt for a clean world. Everybody, like, why wouldn't you? You'd have to be a jerk. But we also all know that, hey, we have to continue to drive. We have to continue to run factories. We like to have power. Um, you know, we like to have hospitals, we like to have fire trucks, like all of these things are, are critical, they all pollute, you know, cows by existing, animals, us, we pollute just by existing. So pollution is always going to be around. So then the question becomes, how much pollution can we reduce on an annual basis? And that is what like Republicans and Democrats should be if they were actually interested in solving problems and not just grandstanding. Those are the conversations they should be having. So if we're at if we're at 10 percent pollution, you know, um, and the Republicans are like, hey, we want to go to 9.5 percent and the Democrats are like, we want to go to 5 percent. Well, now you start assessing and you start figuring out, OK, what's realistic you know, what if, you know, and, and you end up somewhere, maybe you arrive at 8% or you arrive at 7.5%. Then the next year you have that conversation again. Okay, this last year we made these huge improvements. We have new technologies. Those new technologies have reduced emissions by this much. We've done X, Y, and Z. How do we push it further? Like that's a real adult conversation about how to improve something. All right, with that, questions, comments, 
telling me I'm dumb. I'm up for all of it. There's a guy called Albert for Wage. He says Al alligators love the climate crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Alligators do well in like the heat. And that's the thing. Like, you know, other other creatures will do exceptionally well in a hotter world. You know, it'll it, it, it remains to be seen if we are one of them, you know, and that's the that is always the danger with this stuff is we are not particularly tough as a species. You know, animals can can endure a lot and they still go extinct all the time. We are we are wusses. You know, if you, I can't think of an animal that is that is uh, less tough than we are. Can you? What's an animal less tough than a person? Like a mammal. I mean, a I think. Shrew. You think a shrew is less tough? I don't know, man. Like, they're digging underground. They're fighting yeah, things. They they're climbing they're things. They can still they're still, around. they're still, can't even see. They're still exist. You know, they're eating worms and stuff. Like, that's a tough, like, do you, could you see quigs digging holes and eating worms? I don't think, I don't so. think so. I don't think so. I think, so. I think quigs would last like 48 hours away from air conditioning and then. Yeah, and, I would last like shorter than that. <laughs> how many days do you think, if we dropped you in the wilderness, how long before you're dead? You think you think you'd be dead in eight hours? I don't think I can handle. I think I get so stressed. You th you think you would just stroke out from the, from the? So you from wouldn't go on naked and afraid? Absolutely not. <laughs> you sure? Yeah, I Hollywood, would you go on naked and afraid? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hollywood, how long do you think you could last in the wild? What kind of wild? Cold wild or warm wild? Let's go warm. I could last. I think I think it could last a while, at least a month. You think you could go a month warm? Yeah, because I, I can start. My only concern would be water. I can start fire. Yeah, water's. I can, I can hunt. Water, water. Water's the first concern. Water's the first concern. For, always the first concern. So if you can find water, if, if I can find water, I think I can go until I until. How about cold? I hate cold too. I hate cold too. If you don't have the right gear for cold, you're dead. End of story. Yeah. I mean. You yeah, you're not living. You're not living naked and afraid in the cold for very long. Not for long. Not for long. Yeah, cold sucks. I'd rather be cold in a civilized world. Like, you know, where, yeah. like, right now, you know, it's cold my outside. North, my North Face parka. All well, I mean, I'll wear a t-shirt and shorts. T-shirt and shorts. Yeah, I'll wear a t-shirt. It can be, it can be like zero degrees. T-shirt and shorts is fine. But I eventually will go inside when I'm cold. But, like, yeah, if you can't get warm, you're screwed. Yeah, I mean, these are all good questions, right? Um, you know, the wet, you know, weather patterns change from time to time. You know, that's that has been, you know, proven. You know, I mean, we've the even the spin of the Earth has changed. Um, what the effect will be on us, I have no idea. I'm sure it'll be significant. Um, you know, food supply. We're actually it's less about food. We've actually gotten better and better at providing food to the world than we ever have. Uh, we're more efficient with farmland. Um, you know, for example, you guys may or may not know that my only Fortune 100 corporate gig was at John Deere. And, you know, they used, and this is like years ago, so I'm sure they're crazy good at it now compared to what it used to be. But they used, you know, computer technology to essentially... Um, you know, increase the farm yield on the average farm by like 30% just by planting seeds more accurately. 
I bet now it's insane. You know, now it's AI because even back then, tractors could drive themselves, you know, using satellite technology. So a person had to be there for safety, but the person was basically sitting in there listening to music while these tractors like planted and pulled things out of the ground. So it's not about food, it's about water. Water is the challenge. And we are pretty blessed in America that unless you're living someplace dumb like Las Vegas or California, um, you know, water isn't a giant issue. But if we start getting warmer, we're going to have to dig deeper for water. It's going to be harder. Reservoirs won't last as long. Um, and then worldwide, water is already a problem in places like Africa. It's only going to get worse. And so you're going to have, you're, you're going to potentially have famine and drought in places like Africa. And, you know, I, you could potentially see places like Las Vegas, um, unless they take some major action soon, they're going to run out of water and that's not going to be a functional place anymore, which, you know, people roll their eyes at, but it's a real problem. Uh, and, and they're not taking drastic enough steps to stop it. So it's not about the food, it's about the water. That's the challenge that's coming for this next generation. Isn't part of the Vegas problem is that California is taking the water further up the river somewhere and not letting it flow down into Lake Mead? Is that true or not? A little of column A, a little of column B. You know, Vegas is taking a lot of water. Um, and California... You know, California. I mean, you guys. Everybody knows California is is like crazy land. Like, they don't want any pollution. They don't want any industry. They don't want anybody to be able to operate there. But they want everything. They don't want to give up any services, right? They want so, everyone to have an electric car, but you can't charge your car but once or twice a week because yeah. the power grid won't take the strain. California needs desalinization plants. But they continuously, you know, towns continuously vote against them because they don't want to look at a desalinization plant. They don't want to, uh, they don't want the desalinization plant to have an effect on the wildlife. Like, all of this makes sense, right? But at some point, something has to give. You, you will have no water. But nobody thinks about that. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think California and Vegas are in for a rough time in the not-too-distant future. population and planning. Um, Arizona, California is an unreasonable state. It is, they, they don't operate. The, the states that tend to operate best, my opinion, have a healthy mix of the parties. You know, as an example, Massachusetts is an extremely well-run state. Everybody thinks about Massachusetts as being extremely liberal. It's a different kind of liberal in Massachusetts. And having lived there, I, I can tell you like a, a Massachusetts liberal versus a California liberal are two very different things. A Massachusetts liberal likes labor unions. That's what it's about. It's like, it's a labor union centric place. They typically have Republican governors. Even though, even though they could overwhelmingly have Democrats across the board every time if they wanted to, but they, they often had, you know, Mitt Romney was, you know, governor, governor of, of Massachusetts, and he was an excellent governor. Um, there is a, states like that where people are reasonable, 
tend to do very well. North Carolina, you know, it's going through some stuff right now, but North Carolina is typically a very run, a well-run state where Republicans and Democrats work very well together. California is just so far to the left that there is no Republican voice. And it's not about, it's not about somebody being right or wrong. It's just like, if you get a bunch of people that all believe something and they're wrong, there's no one there to say, hey, maybe this. Um, just think about friend groups. Think about people you knew in college or high school that like went too far somewhere, but they were so committed to whatever it was that it was like embarrassing. That's basically California. California has an incredible GDP. They have, they have uh, you know, massive talent. Um, there's so much money flowing through there. So, you know, it's beautiful. Like it should be, it should be crushing it. But it consistently isn't because it doesn't value diversity of thought and they can't make decisions in favor of what they need to do. They can't be selfish because they spend so much time trying to be selfless, but to the point of stupidity. That's my view on California. I love visiting there, would never want to live there, even though it's one of the most beautiful places on earth because it is so dysfunctional. We got anything else? Any other questions? Nothing? Everyone's just chilling? If you've served in the military, you know how hard it can be to find adequate childcare, deployments, field problems, potentially competing jobs, all of it. And it isn't just the cost, which seems to be skyrocketing daily. It's the availability of people you can trust that are trained, that are positive influences on your children. Operation Child Care has your answer. Operation Child Care pairs skilled nannies with military families in need for under $20 an hour. Moreover, if two families want to go in on this together, a nanny will accommodate that arrangement so the expenses are split. Kayla Corbett and her team are superior childcare professionals who have lived through the challenges of balancing childcare with the military, and they are committed to making sure that you do not have to suffer financially or worry about the quality of care your children are getting. Operation Childcare, solving the military childcare crisis, one family at a time. Why not start with yours? Visit them at operationchildcare.org. That's operationchildcare.org. Last thing I'm going to talk about, and then I'll open it to the floor, is uh, Diane Feinstein. Um, she's very old. She is very sick. She continues to win elections. And um, she very clearly is not at her former capacity. So like her, not like her, in her prime a very intelligent woman, uh, very, uh, very powerful, a uh, lot of influence. But we come back to this question of, you know, when should people have to step down from office? And so, you know, there's two, two critical points kind of meeting in the middle here. The first one is, hey, they keep electing her. That's who they want to represent them. And, and that's a very good argument. Like, hey, if you want somebody that is probably not at full mental capacity, that, uh, but you just like her, and that's what your entire state wants to do, then, I mean, maybe that's what you deserve as a state. On the flip side, you know, should there be something in place for people that 
you know, cannot operate at full capacity. And I, I've said many times, I don't think it should be tied to age, but I do think there's some kind of cognitive test that a congressperson uh, should be able to pass at any age. Um, you know, I'm not sure that, you know, Boebert would pass, for example. But, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, me personally, I get very nervous when we have people running our government that, you know, probably uh, can't pass the most basic of tests. So I'd love to hear what you guys think, because this is one that we, you know, we kind of roll around back and forth, and uh, it's there's no easy answer, but thoughts. You know what the governor said this morning? I don't. He is going to suggest Oprah Winfrey take her seat. I mean, Oprah could run for president right now, and she would win. Like, Oprah's unstoppable whether you like her or not, like we all know it, you know, we all know it. Oprah, Oprah could, uh, you know, she could probably out Trump Trump, you know? See what you did there. See what I did there? Any thoughts? Nobody has any comments, questions, concerns? California, man. California. Such a beautiful place. San Diego is like, it's gorgeous. What are your plans this weekend, Nick, and what are you drinking? My plans this weekend. I have been running very hard lately. We have a lot of stuff going on. I mean, we have a lot of stuff going on. Um, I have not had a weekend home where I was truly home and not working, I don't know, three months or something. It's been a while. So this last month I was in Foxborough. Uh, or this last weekend I was in Foxborough, which of course, you know, it's, you know, Gillette stadium is God's country. So it was nice to be there, but it was still work. And there was a lot, a lot of meetings and stuff. Um, this weekend I plan on doing nothing. Like actually I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna work. I'm not, I'm not even going to write. I am not, I'm not doing any of my jobs this weekend, spending time with the family. I've got my son, uh, who's back from Fort Benning. And so we're all going to be around. We're all going to be home. All all six of the kids, my wife and I, will all be home this weekend. And my plan is to basically veg, and maybe a little grappling, a little boxing with uh, my eight year old who's loving boxing right now. And drinking will probably be Jefferson's Ocean. That's that's my favorite sipping bourbon. And uh, yeah, probably be Jefferson's Ocean of what you said is true about not working this weekend I am I am pretty committed to not working this weekend I I could see myself like if if the kids are out doing something I could see myself sitting on my top porch and writing but I don't anticipate doing more than that so you're saying that we don't have to monitor slack this week you never have to monitor slack I I tell people I tell you guys all the time I do not ex I do not expect any of you to replicate my work habits. Like when I write in Slack or I send emails and you know Albert Albert, you know, uh, my for those of you that don't know Albert, he is my my uh, much smarter business partner. Albert tells me that I should put everything on a schedule if it's after 6 and so that people get it at 9 a.m. and I always forget. To, I've done it like twice. But, you know, if I have like a thought, because I'm always I'm always thinking and I do a lot of my